Hey, you're listening to the Starting Up with Virtue Zone podcast with me, Tom Urquhart. This week I was joined by the Virtue Zone chairman, Mr. Neil Petch, who was live in studio with us, as were several very special guests, including the co founder of Ruya Partners, Omar Al Yawar, who set up his business during or certainly after COVID, went it alone himself, and is now helping to partner with some of the biggest organizations here in the region, including, of course, the team at Stars Play. How? Through their unique process of structured investments. We're also joined live in studio by the art collector turned entrepreneur and gallery owner Edward Gallagher. Edward's here uh, showing at Art Dubai uh, last week, but also is based down at City Walk. We wanted to know how you turn a passion into profit at the end of the day. And big old focus on all things freelancing. So Neil Petch was on hand to answer your questions, courtesy of Virtue Zone. And we were joined by the managing director, the boss, if you like, of uh, The Work Crowd, a platform that helps to put freelancers in the right positions for specific projects. Uh, Phyllis Hurst joined us live in studio to give us her thoughts on what is an increasing sector of the workforce at the moment. That's all right here on Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Starting up with Virtue Zone on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is starting up with Virtue Zone uh, each and every Thursday from 1 through till 2, live here on Dubai Eye 103.8. Tom Urquhart joined by, of course, the chairman of Virtue Zone, Neil Petch. Good week, Mr. Petch. Fantastic, Tom. And you know why I like this one? Omar, who's coming on in a minute. Money makes the world go round, doesn't it? It's all very good having an idea, but you've got to execute the idea. How do you execute it? I'm not going to try to pretend to be clever. Money helps. It does. It does help. And certainly if you are starting up, that's for sure. And that's what we're all about here today. Uh, got any questions to find that, uh, that that elusive tree where money grows on it, apparently. The money it? tree. Yes. Tell that to the wife. Does, it, does, it, does, it, does that happen yet? Have you found it yet? <laughs> apparently I have four in my garden. I've just never spotted them. <laughs> right. As Mr. P was saying, let's get straight into this one, shall we? Uh, let's chat arts and entertainment. The UA is sport for choice when it comes to street content. Uh, what have we got here? I mean, just to the top of my head, we've got Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, and many, many more. Then there's a regional player that really is shaking things up out there. And it's been in the headlines lately. It's been ranked consistently among the region's top three subscription video on demand or VOD services out there. It's expanding and forging partnerships across not just the UAE, but the Middle East region and further afield, adding more live broadcasts. And recently, it's a rich horror series. Caboose broke viewership records within just 48 hours of the first two episodes premiering. Since then, engagement on the platform has gone up by in the region of 20%. Um, their CEO, their founder, their visionary, Mal Sheikh, is, well, he's a happy man. He's always a happy man, is Maz. He's a happy soul. And he's equally happy uh, are the team at Arroyo Partners, the region's first and only partner-owned alternative investment firm. They've played uh, their role, their uh, considerable role in accelerating the growth of Stars Play by providing uh, structured investments. Their partner uh, is, of course, Omar Al-Yawa, who joins us now live in the studio. Omar, can't thank you enough for taking time out of a busy day to speak to us. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Great to have you with us. Um, and let's talk about you first, if we can, Omar. Uh, very impressive CV. Uh, best part of 24 years of experience. Top roles at various firms, including, dare we say it, JP Morgan Asset Management. I mean, can, can you just tell the listeners, before we sort of get on to some of the more specifics, about 
what led to you and your partners creating your own firm, going out on your own yourself? Sure. No, thank you for that. Really, I think the year 2020, the way COVID really challenged us all, also presented an opportunity to rethink what you want to do for the next 24, 30, 40 years in this business or on this earth. What my partners and I really came to the conclusion was, while we worked for great institutions, global and regional ones alike, we realized that this is really not our baby. We are actually building somebody else's baby. And when COVID touched us all, we realized perhaps it's probably better to apply all that we've learned in the 24, 26 years of experience to actually build our own general partner. Mm. Something that competes with folks that come from the West, the likes of um, Blackstone and private equity, Aries Capital and private credit, something that is actually local, unique, and thanks to some of the sovereign wealth funds that backed us, particularly Mubadala Capital, in the midst of COVID, that dream became a reality. Mm. And they anchored us in the midst of COVID to actually launch our business. I'm a, the Blackstones, I mean, very impressive names, quite intimidating names mm. if you're a little startup. Sure. Most of our listeners are startups. There's another segment as well that we'll come on to. Um, Roy Partners, what you know, if I were a late stage, early early startup, but in the late stage of it, how could I um, use Roya to grow? Sure. Thank you. That's a great question. The way we think about helping the ecosystem grow and flourish is the fact that we look at two types of investment firms uh, or two types of investments that we, we consider to invest in. One is late stage venture. So companies that are started up in UAE, Saudi and other places in the Middle East and North Africa that are doing phenomenally well. They've already gone through round C. They're about to break even. There could be an event where they're either IPOing or maybe a, a strategic sale that's imminent. Yet, when they try to get additional capital that's non-dilutive, i.e. they don't want to sell more shares of their business okay. because they're growing at such rapid pace, the opportunity set to get that type of funding is quite limited. So what we what we actually do is we look at their cash flow business. We look at their we do six to seven months of due diligence on them. It's private equity style like. Yeah. So like the, what they do at Blackstone and others. And we say, okay, we believe in this vision. We wanna augment this vision. We give them a structured investment that lasts between four to five years that allows them the breathing room to grow to the next stage as the case. Yeah, I love that. Tom, I wanna to give you a little lesson here. You may know this, but when people come in with an investment, one of the things that they worry about, and a, a, lot, a lot of startups want a strategic investor. They don't just want money. They want someone that adds strategic value. Those investors are worried about diluting, Omar just mentioned. So this is a product that allows you to raise capital to grow without diluting your strategic investors. So it, actually, if you were showing this as part of your journey, I imagine it's something that would be very attractive to, to investors. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the reality is a lot of the founders, entrepreneurs, particularly in the VC space, are brilliant at what they do. But when it comes to finding source of capital, there's been kind of a, a race to get more shareholders. But when you look at the actual numbers, you realize that why would you dilute your equity base consistently and considerably yeah. when you know that there's an imminent break-even point yeah. that's coming up in the next... 12 months or so. So, Mike, you just mentioned founders there, and obviously we used Maz Sheikh, a, a friend of the show, friend of everyone here in the studio. Uh, but a man who's, you know, not shy of the media, he's got high profile, he's out there, he's front-facing, he's happy to speak to people and explain uh, things when it comes to media and, and, and businesses otherwise. Does, does the profile of a founder matter when it comes 
to structured investment? It's a it's a great question. One of the one of the main pillars of our due diligence process is um, doing a, basically check on the founders yeah. to see their reputation. So it's great. We we know Maz very well, and we love how um, he has really been able to really champion a great firm like Starsplay from the ground up, and. Despite having such a strong profile and a company that's been cash generative, a company that's done phenomenally well before we even invested in it, they were having a tough time finding alternative solution to their next two to three years of funding. Mm. And, and that took us six to seven months of actually due diligence. One of them is um, uh, checking on Maz and the other founders of the business. And that once they get a check mark, then we can proceed with the next steps of due diligence. Omar, let me ask a question on behalf of the unglam companies out there. We've all heard the Ubers of this world, the Airbnbs, where the number of users is growing by a billion. And, and like, how did they get that valuation? Forget them for a minute. What about a sort of company? It's been around five years. It's highly profitable. It's a boring, in inverted commas, company. And they're like, I just can't get the valuation that these guys can, but I want to grow regionally. How, how would they use you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so if they've already received, if they've already gone through various rounds of funding, so there, there are different providers of the type of structured investments that we do. Uh, for us, we've, we veer toward late stage venture and mid-market companies, and mid-market being EBITDA of 10 million and above. But in the VC space, companies, even if they've been around just for five years or six years, if they've already successively been able to uh, attract institutional investors, whether regional or global, for, I'll use against Starsplay as an example, when we invested in Starsplay, before we invested in them, they already had $150 million of equity investors from the likes of Lionsgate in the US, from the likes of Stars TV station in the US, uh, Itasalat had already, was already uh, an investor in there. However, they were not able to get the type of structured investment that they need for the next three to four years, despite the fact they had a huge equity base behind them. So what we would do is we would look at who are their current LPs or limited partners? Who are the ones who've backed them? Are they institutional? Are they family groups? It makes a difference. Um, are they institutionalized family groups? Are they a uh, single family group? Or it really makes a big difference at who their shareholder base are. Okay, what I liked about what you were saying is that you seek to share in the upside but of course, what you, what you give back in order to have that is say, for example, okay, we're going to give you access to this structured finance, but we're not going to charge you initially. So we're going to make it as easy, a soft landing or a soft start for you so that you can start growing really fast. And then when everybody wins, we all win. Neil, you know, the, the interesting part, all of our friends in the West, US, Europe, this, this space has grown tremendously because they're able, there are so many mid-market and small companies that they were able to help grow. When we, so no two investments are the same. Depending on the company's need, the company that we're going to invest in, the structure might vary tremendously. But it always, in the mindset of that it's flexible, that allow it to gain the market share they're looking for, the growth that they need to get in the next four to five years. So we're there to help them, not become a hindrance to their growth. What about your growth at Royal Partners as well? I mean, you help to, to, to grow other organisations that are, are lucky to partner with you as well. Have you got a sort of similar growth plan, things on the horizon for the partners moving forward? Sure, thanks Thanks for that. Well, what we've done, we started in December 2020. Uh, we were just, at the time, two partners and one, one additional person on our team. Now we've grown to be six, and to, inshallah, within, by the end of the year, we'll be at eight people. 
we're based in ADGM, yeah. we're an ADGM firm, and we're planning to be the largest EM alternative firm based out of the Middle East. Wow. And to be, we're the first and only partner owned. And what's the significance of that is that previous firms that have come and gone are usually been owned by either one person, perhaps owned by a bank, perhaps by one of the family groups, Whereas the West, for example, Blackstone, Aries, and others, the founders of these institutions, for as long as they've been in business, are the same founders because they have their own skin in the game. They have own skin in the fund, in the firm. It makes you invest in a very different way when you mm. own the business. Omar, are you busy this afternoon? Not yet. Be careful how you answer. VirtuZone has a launch pad in Alcours. We've got 1,000 people coming, and it's all about scaling your business. Okay. Friends of the show, Tom. Caroline Stanbury, oh, yeah. Chris Fade, they've set up with us. And it's all about how you scale your business. Now, Roya looked look like an immense part of that. So there's the invitation. Happy to join. Only if you sort out a driver to get in there and, and back, all right? Okay. <laughs> Helicopter. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave it there. We could talk a lot longer on this one. Uh, congratulations to Royal Partners for the immense growth uh, since launching as well. Big thanks to you uh, for, for helping uh, see, realise some of the dreams of the startups here in the region as well. Long may that continue across the region. And most imp- importantly, thank you very much indeed for, for giving up part of your Thursday afternoon to speak to Neil and I as well. Absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Real pleasure to have you in the studio. That's Omar Aliawa, the partner and Roya Partners. Up next, though, we we look into the world of art. That's right. We are going to be talking all things collecting. We're going to meet a collector turned entrepreneur who's making waves at Art Dubai at the moment. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. No regrets whatsoever, and it is time for us to turn our attention to another feature uh, on the show as we look at uh, up-and-coming businesses here in the region and ask, could they well be the UA's next unicorn? Well, this is starting up with Virtue Zone, uh, myself and Neil. Okay, time to focus on all things art, the local and regional art scene. Art Dubai is uh, but 100 metres or 200 metres away at the moment. It is currently underway. It's been a very busy edition thus far. So many making and collecting uh, so for, for many out there, many uh, making and collecting art is a passion. Question is, how can you turn that passion into profit or certainly a business? We're joined now by art collector turned entrepreneur, Edward Gallagher. Edward is the managing director of Galois, an art gallery in Dubai that opened back in 2020. Uh, Edward, bless you. Thanks so much indeed for taking time out of the busy old art Dubai schedule to chat to us today. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I suppose the starting point has to be that that thing, that, that, that point of, you know, from collector, something that was your passion. Possibly it was a little bit of an aside from your day-to-day job and your, your, your previous careers, etc. How do you turn that passion into a full-time job? Was that a conscious decision? Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things as you meet other business owners and entrepreneurs. I'm sure you hear this a lot. If you're going to start a business and it's going to succeed, it needs to be something you're really, truly passionate about, not for five minutes, but for years. And so I have the advantage as being a collector of really growing to love and enjoy art and in turn turning it into a business thus makes sense. Um, Obviously, starting a new business, uh, I've run companies for other people before, but starting your own business is a new adventure. But yeah, having that passion is absolutely critical and uh, it's the only way to succeed in my view. And you opened the gallery in 2020. Seamless process here? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I've had a business in the UK of my own before, complex, red tape, painful, um, the UAE really welcoming and, and simplified version of that. Um, still slick, still professional, but uh, yeah, opening the business and uh, you know just generally since then has been smooth sailing. Did it ha- did it help having business experience before opening the gallery and again looking at it through a business lens? Yeah, undoubtedly, I think as well. Uh, turning an idea into a proper structured plan that one can execute is not something one should do lightly. And um, and I think, yeah, having done that before for others is, is, an, is a nice feature that I had that maybe other people don't have that benefit uh, in advance. So I think take your time, really have a plan, write it down. There's lots of templates and lots of ways to do that. And if you can and you haven't done it before, find a mentor, find somebody who can talk to you about how to build that plan and share your ideas. I've learned an awful lot in two years. We've changed and adapted and um, moved. And I think if you don't um, allow yourself to be malleable as well, that's also a mistake. So yeah, I think we've, we've, we've continued to adapt to the market mm-hmm. here as it's evolving. Tom, I feel like I'm in a masterclass how to set up a business and, and we're learning from an art gallery and that's, that's brilliant. So another thing that you need to do in business is scale. And art is not immediately something that, that uh, you can see an easy way to do that. But you specialize in digital art. And I'm wondering if technology enables you to do that more easily. Yeah, I think that um, as a collector, I was buying most of my work online. You know, people don't turn up to the Sotheby's auction, or not many anymore. You know, most of those collectors are buying it online. So buying art digitally has now become a thing that globally collectors do, and therefore having a good digital strategy is critical. Whether you're selling physical paintings as we do, or sculptures as we do, or indeed digital art, which we also do. So Ed, there's probably, you know, uh, of, of the... Millions of people listening to this show at the moment. There's a a good percentage who, as soon as they hear digital, as soon as they hear NFT, they cloud over a bit. They're, 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 uh, you know, a little bit, "Mm, I'm not sure about that. Can you, in layman's terms, explain how it's safe to invest in in this area and, and why it makes sense? Digital art has been around since the 60s and isn't a new thing. Uh, Many of our artists are incredible digital artists. We're showing uh, people who've been doing digital art for 20 years on the booth. You've got Raphael Lozano, Hema, Daniel Kanagar, Miguel Chevalier. These are extremely famous artists, full stop. Mm. They don't do NFTs. So the idea of tying those two things together is a misnomer. And of course... NFTs have allowed a, an entire new I- audience to be interested in art, which is great. Um, it has, as often any new technology, drawn bad actors, and um, it'll go through a cycle like anything else. I think the future could be where blockchain is used and we don't hear the term NFT again, okay. and people use it for provenance, which is ultimately what it is. Um, as opposed to it being uh, sort of considered an art form, which it isn't. Okay, so what should an investor not do? I think uh, one shouldn't try to purely look at art for financial gain. I think that it's it's the best investment class. I mean, I know I would say that, but the investment class at the moment 
It's proven to be the best hedge against inflation, as it's not directly correlated. It's outstripped the S&P 500 for 25 years straight. And in the last 50 years, it's been the uh, one asset class which has decreased the fewest times, even less than gold. So only four times has it gone down, where gold's gone down seven times. So it's almost more. a secret club that not many people know about, and that gives the advantage to the people that are in it. Yeah, I think if you go online now and look at all of these mega sales that are happening at the big auction houses, the founder of Microsoft recently, Paul Allen, selling his collection um, posthumously, uh, you see the mega rich are still pouring their money into art. Why? Because it's this incredible okay, investment. So forget there are some mega rich listening, Tom's listening, for example. But for those people that don't have huge amounts of money, how can one dip into this area? It's exactly how I started. I just said to myself, people keep telling me this art's a great investment. It's a quite a nice thing to know about. And I, like all of your listeners, or very many of them, was one of the per- people who said, oh, I don't know anything about art. Mm. I hear that all day on the booth and in the gallery, and it's great, fine, you don't need to. Um, so I started out saying, I'm going to take an interest. I'm going to go and learn about it. So I looked online, I started researching, and then what what started as something I wanted to have as a sort of investment rather than put some rubbish on my wall that was going to be sold for 100 dirhams on Debizzle afterwards, I wanted to say, okay, I'll put something up that's actually going to retain its value or go up in value, and bit by bit I learned. And I think as a gallery, our energy is about come, talk, you don't have to know anything about it, and whether you're, you know, uber wealthy and trying to buy a Basquiat to impress your friends or you're you know nothing about art at all um I think you know it's it's an open environment to come in talk and start to get to know great established artists to that end where's the gallery we're in City Walk um on sort of London Street, so that nice London-style street. <laughs> Obviously, quite right. Yeah, opposite... Does it uh, rain there all the time or something? <laughs> if it does rain, it turns into a wonderful river outside, <laughs> so hopefully not. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're just opposite La Ville Hotel. It's, uh, it's really... But you're up at uh, Art Dubai this week, yeah? Correct. So, yeah, fantastic opening day to Art Dubai yesterday. Um, we're at booth X9, um, and again, some of the names I mentioned there are on display there, so you can come and get a feel for that. But uh, lots of fantastic galleries from around the world, really good footfall, and um, yeah, uh, super, super event. I've got to leave it there. Unfortunately, time is against us, but I'm sure you've probably got to get back down to Art Dubai as well. So we'll let you jump, uh, get on down to the madness. That's Edward Gallagher, Managing Director of Galois. As Edward was saying, uh, if you are interested to find out more, uh, do go say hi to them on the booth at Art Dubai, uh, as you can get in from uh, tomorrow onwards. Uh, and of course, if you can't do that, then get yourself down to CityWalk. Ed, thanks so much indeed for joining us. Great pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business setup with no regrets on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, welcome back to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. My name's Tom Urquhart. Uh, alongside me, the chairman of Virtue Zone, Neil Petch, live here in studio. And we're talking freelancing now, giving you a bit of a crash course. If you're thinking of leaving that nine to five, no, it's nine to five anymore. If you're thinking of leaving your existing full time and going solo, setting up in your own, going freelance then this is the opportunity to get your questions into us. Why are we talking about this? Because companies out there are reporting increasing demand for short-term and temporary workers. That's after the government asked companies to shift from unlimited to limited contracts. This is good 
for freelancers. They want to take on projects as opposed to full-time employment. Uh, Desma Rovina de Souza is the managing partner for SNK Consulting. She supports other freelancers and is offering free masterclasses to those who are seriously thinking about going freelance. She says they've been in high demand since the pandemic started. We started off as freelancers ourselves and then worked with other freelancers to create a seven-figure business during the pandemic. So we were literally first-hand benefactors of the freelancing workforce when we set up our HR consultancy just a month before the pandemic hit. More and more professionals are opting to explore freelancing as an option because of how the economy is evolving and they're on the pursuit of a better work-life balance themselves. The war for talent is strongly felt in this country and companies in the UAE are increasingly looking for new ways to meet that demand for talent. So two parts to this. First one is licensing and legalities. Uh, Neil Petch here in studio uh, to give us the rundown on that. different options available to UAE residents, Neil. Yeah, we've done better than that, actually. We've we've brought someone in who, who <laughs> is a specialist in this because you know what Virtue Zone's about, Tom? Tell me. It's not just about us, it's about our partners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, there you go. So we've got... No, what, what I would say is... You know, and this has been a bit of a theme today, actually. You've noticed that COVID had an effect, that, that habits are changing, takes longer to commute, and so on and so on. So business owners, guys, if you're listening, we need to change the way that we practice. So having everybody in the office, nine to five every day, you know, there are advantages to that, but you have to pay medical insurance for everyone. You have to have a desk space for everyone. Maybe there's a brilliant freelancer that is in the Philippines or is in London or who wants to work two jobs. You have to accept that and, and get the mentality right to be able to do that. Now, Virtue Zone's part of that is to help make sure that you're doing it legally so that uh, if you want to freelance yourself, you're able to do it uh, uh, in, in a way that actually conforms to everything and gives you maximum flexibility and then we partner with people and that's why we've got one of the guests in today. MD of the Work Crowd, Felice Hurst is with us here in studio. Lovely to see you as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Tom. Nice to see you Neil. <laughs> what, is the, what, what is the 30 second elevator pitch on the Work Crowd? What, what do you guys set it's out It's a to freelance do? platform that connects talent to projects. So um, it's a global platform, so it's decentralising that workforce. I mean, uh, I, we originally were a Hanson Search is a recruitment business yeah. specialising in marketing communications. And we saw a few years ago this massive gap in the market for this, exactly as Neil's saying then, this project-based work. So we launched in the UK first, which is a very different market to over here. And then, of course, when we started with the freelance visas, we've then gone into our clients and really expanded. The last year, we have seen an, an incremental change the market's really matured. Mm. It's gone the, gone to the days of the junior freelancers. I mean, I'm actually quite loath to use the word freelancer. Let's position ourselves correctly as independent professionals. Mm. Um, and there is an upkeep, massive rise taking a place. The COVID pandemic has highlighted it. It's the fear of people wanting to give up their day jobs and work independently was reduced because of the pandemic. It's one of the few benefits that have come out of it. And now this whole what was called the future of work. I don't think we can actually call it now. It's actually present. This is how people are working. We're working with governments now who are increasing their freelancers. And our platform is a way to connect partners, projects and talent, be them on the ground here, be them at the top of Timbuktu. It doesn't really matter. It's about the talent. It mm. could be, you know, just for a day, a week, a month. Very flexible. 
And are you seeing more and more resources available out there? As you say, you've position yourself as that platform times were that no one really understood what freelance was it was never really recognized uh, are we seeing more and more recognition of what freelance is for companies and therefore more sort of legal support more sort of government support and otherwise i mean it's always been a massive market internationally mckinsey's yeah. research a number of years ago was predicting by 2025 50 percent of the workforce will be project-based google has been for years london european market is here it wasn't because we had to have a work visa so and it was illegal to work for anywhere else so it's always gone on but illegally as Neil was saying since they've launched those visas people have been quite fearful a lot of the entities and the companies don't trust freelancers how can we trust them when they're not employed so that's the big drive that we've gone through for the last couple of years enabling this trust element mm. and that's what we do with our platform we're not like Upwork or Fiverr you have to be invited onto the platform. You have to be approved. You have to be referenced. So it means that these talent, these, these these talents on there are registered and viable, um, and it just enables talent rather than if you put register on Fiverr, it's a bit like going on LinkedIn. There'll be thousands of jobs. How do you, how do you weed through it? This matches and connects. Mm. But we're seeing a big uptake now. Bag big, even with the government. The mentality has totally changed. Mm. And these new HR laws are really going to enable I love that even how crowd has come out of a recruitment background. Yeah. Because when you're on a project, how do you, you know, I, I, I could be looking for someone in there and I'm not technically competent to interview and know who's going to be good about it. So what WorkCrowd does is, 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 is make sure that you can go in and you see and you can see the testimonials on, on those people. On our side, Tom, the other part of it, of course, is the licensing and the mm -hmm. legality and, and, and everything. And um, as Felice was saying, that there, there are shortcuts out there. And, and we're wary of that. So a freelance permit allows you to do certain things, mm. but not other things. If you've got a corporate bank account, if you've got a company so you can send an invoice from that, there's a lot, there's a lot more solidity to that. So there are benefits in both directions. And always make sure you've got all the advice before you step forward and waste time and money thinking you've taken a shortcut and ending up having to go back and start again. I mean, if you're sitting on that fence wondering about, freelancing there's quite a lot of this to think about in the background mm. um how what, you know, what do you start with you've got to have your bank account and of course you couldn't get that before but now with the likes of weo you can you so you can actually get paid who are you go are you doing it as a side hustle or are you going to be that professional independent mm. quite a difference and then it's working out what am i going to do because you've got if you're going to be independent you've got to love what you do if you love content and you're doing it as a side hustle you need to go into that market um leverage your network I mean, your network is your net worth. As book, there are books written on this. All right. I thought that it's was yours. Good one. I was no, going to believe like, that you came up with I'd that. I'd like to steal that one, but I can't take that honour. But it's true, though. You know, look at your network. You, you, you will not be straight from university becoming a freelancer. You could have been working for decades. Your network is there to, yeah. to enable you. And um, all of these things, all of these, these and, and this region now is really enabling it to make it much easier. Kerry, um, if you're not, if you missed it, uh, we are talking uh, all things uh, about the work crowd today. Kerry getting in touch. Can you remind me the name of the platform? Yep, it is the work crowd. And we're going to continue the conversation with Felice in just a few moments time. She's going to be staying with us to tell us where the freelancing is for all of you out there. 
This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Not just me, we've got uh, the chairman of Virtue Zone, Mr Neil Petch, in studio. And also joining us uh, this hour, we are joined by the MD, the Managing Director of the Work Crowd. Felice Hurst is also with us live here in studio. The questions, they are rolling in. Listen, if we don't get the time to answer all of these questions within the hour, worry not, uh, because the team at Virtue Zone have, uh, a live link and of course on their socials they are answering those questions live so make sure you reach out to uh, Virtue Zone to get those questions answered ASAP. In the meantime though let's turn our attention to those questions uh, here's one that's coming from Abdul Rashid who's been in touch Hi Tom and Neil, I've got a question on behalf of my wife in fact, she's looking to start up a business uh, in terms of fashion design and getting some customers to design clothing she's looking for uh, some sort of a, a license that she could be uh, able to do that type of service in Dubai. Would that license also cover other Emirates or was it specific only to Dubai at the moment? Mr. Pete? Okay, so firstly all free zones enable you to to operate throughout the whole of the UAE, um, so you don't need to worry about uh, uh, that side to things. Um, we've been talking about freelance, obviously. So the term freelancer sometimes gets misused. So there's a freelancer permit, which enables you to work with certain companies, but you can't run around town freelancing all over the place willy-nilly. So very often, my, my probably my advice, Abdul Rashid, is um, uh, that you might want to look at one of the more cost-effective free zone licenses with an attached bank account, and that will definitely enable you to operate throughout the UAE and probably a consultancy license to start with if you're designing and then you can actually outsource various parts so obviously there's the logistics there's the delivery there's perhaps the manufacture and all of these things start with probably by outsourcing it using partners and then when you want to bring it in-house and vertically integrate once you've seen that you've got the interest you can do that so Put your, put your toe in, in the water. Does Good that, luck. Felice, that goes back to what you were saying a little bit earlier on about know what you want. You can't, mm. you know, this term that is bandied around, I'm a freelancer. Yeah, of what? You know, there's a freelance journalist, there's a freelance makeup consultant, it might be whatever, but you have to find your niche. Yeah, it's without a shadow of a doubt. And it's a good way to start with this freelancer permit because so, they're so quick to set up and they're a good price. But if you are going to become that professional, people then tend to go for more of the sole traders, don't they? And that's what we're seeing with our, with our network. I mean, you can also, if you know, if you're looking to get back to work, you're a mother and you want to get back, you can go under your husband's sponsorship. Mm. It, you don't actually need to set up. So it all depends on you. But you do have to make that informed decision beforehand. Are you, as I said before, a side hustle or is this, are you going to be professionally independent? Biggest mistake you see people making when it comes to freelancing or wanting to become a freelancer? Not really sitting back and deciding who am I going to be, because then you're scattergunning, you're a bit too generalist, you're not focused, you've got to be focused before you start, you've got to build your network up before you start. Again, with have your profile ready to go. Registering with platforms like us really helps, because you've got to think, when you're moving to a freelance independent position, you're going to have to have many hats. One will be HR, one will be finance, one will be business development, as well as doing your day job. So having a little bit of preparation beforehand will just enable you to fly quickly. A mm. um, bit of a financial buff might be a good idea. 
Always helps. It always helps because, you know, you're going to be... It's very scary to move away from having a monthly salary with all your benefits entailed. But there are enormous benefits on being independent. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go and sit up a mountain for six months and work, you can. If you want to sit on the beach, you can. If you want... You are... Uh, responsible for your own destiny. Digital nomads in many yeah. ways. I've got another question that's come through just to wrap things up on uh, for Neil. Which is the best place for a company set up for trading in automobile automobile parts? I want to get started and test. Hence, should have a low cost for setup and getting started with just one visa needed. Any advance on that? Yeah, great question, actually. And as a lover of cars, I can <laughs> answer that one. You're probably going to be wanting to be based in Alawir or Ras Al Khor, which would mean a DED or a mainland license, which, by the way, is much more affordable than, than certainly used to be the case, faster to set up and you have more ownership. But there is a possibility, whoever asked that question, that you can use a JAFSA license. Mm. So there are options, again, do your research. Thanks so much, Steve, for all your questions today. That was for Kieran. Kieran, I hope that answered that one. And again, uh, we will answer, or rather the uh, VirtuSend team will be answering all of your questions online straight after the hour. The hour which has departed us, has left us behind now. We have to wrap things up. Uh, Felice, thanks so much indeed. Lovely to catch up with you yet again. If people want to get in touch with you and your team, best way to do that? Um, through our website. I can leave the details. We've got so much information on the web, on the LinkedIn and our website about this and how to go about getting in touch with one of the team. We're here to help. Indeed, yeah, and we'll put all those links onto the uh, onto for the work crowd onto our pages as well. And last word goes to Mr. Neil Petch as well. Busy day for you. Well, you know what? The what? sun is shining, and how much tax are we paying, Tom? It's a, it's a great time. <laughs> Let's enjoy it. Let's make hay. Start up. Be your own boss, eh? Be your own boss. That's what it is. Listen, Neil, can't thank you enough. Big thanks to all of our guests today. A big thanks to you for tuning in. Do join us again uh, next week from one. Thursdays, one till two. It is starting up with Virtuism. Bye-bye.